I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 8. And uh, while you're doing that, I just want to encourage you, if I can, just for a moment. I know this is, uh, this is our eighth week live streaming, and if, if we're all honest, this is about, uh, about eight weeks longer than we wanted to do this, right? This is eight weeks more than we wanted to have to do it. And, and I understand uh, how difficult that it must be to... Uh, to maintain the discipline to, to come together and to gather around uh, whatever it is that you're watching right now to, uh, to worship. But I want to encourage you uh, to press on. That's a couple of words that just continue to come to my mind is, is press on, not only for you, but for us as well as we come each and every Sunday. We need to be reminded of that same message, and that is just to, to press on. I assure you that there is a day coming uh, when, uh, when this will not be the normal, when this will not be the expectation that we have uh, for the way that we're going to meet together. And so until then... We need to press on, press on continuing, as I said, as we began, continue to grow in our own personal discipleship and continuing to, to understand the beauty of the church and, and to continue to long for that moment where we are going to get to come back together. So dear church, I want you to, I want you to press on. Today we're going to press on through Acts as we, uh, as we look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to skip those first two little sections of Acts chapter 8 and go right in Acts chapter 8 and verse 9. As we've been following the New Testament church in the book of Acts, we have seen the commission that's been given to them by Jesus himself who encouraged them to be his witnesses in the world. We saw the Holy Spirit come upon them and empower them for the work that Jesus had called them to. We saw them be witnesses in Jerusalem as they were going about the synagogues one after the other. We saw them ultimately being willing to give their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ in the example of Stephen last week. And now in Acts chapter 8, we begin to see the next part of the fulfillment of that commission that was given to them by Jesus. Yes, we see the New Testament church being pressed outside of Jerusalem and going to Samaria. Here we have the example of what is a conversion experience, maybe, of one of those that were witnessed to in Acts chapter 8. This is a, probably one of those stories that you've heard several times before, and I want us to read it together again this morning. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, and we're going to go through verse 25 together this morning. This is what the word of the Lord says. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is great. And they paid attention to him for a long time. He had amazed them with his magic. But when they, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both the men and the women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 
For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. God, would you be with us this morning as we look into this passage of Scripture? God, would you help teach us something, God, not only about the supposed conversion of Simon, but God, would you help us to evaluate our own conversion experience? God, let us think about these things as we apply them into our own lives and we begin to ask the question about conversion and, and Lord, our salvation. God, may we, may we do an inspection today of our hearts and our motives, God, and may we, may we do an inspection today, God, of our iniquity and the forgiveness of our iniquity. God, would you help guide us in this passage of Scripture, Lord, this morning as we are in desperate need of your word and, God, we're in desperate need of your spirit to speak through your word. God, we need you to enlighten us, God. So help us, Lord, as we look at this passage. We, we pray and ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning we have an evangelistic moment. Particularly, it is the discussion of one man hearing the gospel, one man believing, we are told, and yet at the end of this account we have Peter declaring to us that the man who believed was instead filled with iniquity, that his heart was filled, filled with the gall of bitterness, Peter says. I want to caution us all here because I know that, that we need to be cautious, especially when we begin to look at the salvation of another man. When we are not the judge of a man's heart unto salvation, I know that, but it, it seems to be clear to me that Simon, according to Peter especially, that Simon's testimony of belief yet still has a heart that is not right before God should lead us to understand that the supposed conversion experience that Simon had was in fact not a conversion experience at all. I think we could spend a lot of time talking about Simon and the, the fruits or the evidence of his life just in this small passage of Scripture that would lead us to understand that his conversion was in fact not authentic. But instead of focusing our hearts on Simon himself and his own conversion or lack thereof, I think this discussion 
of this evangelistic moment in Acts chapter 8 is significant for us because it leads us to recognize in our own conversion experience whether or not we truly understood the message of the apostles as it is recorded inside of the word of God. So as much as we may want to talk about the conversion of Simon or even the conversion of other people that we might know, I would charge each of us to consider this morning our own conversion experience more than we do the experience of others and certainly more than we do the experience of Simon. There are four observations about this this conversion or lack thereof experience of Simon the magician that I think is helpful for us as as we evaluate our own conversion. First of all, I think that we need to make note, as is taught in this passage, that some things appear to be of God that are in fact not God. Look at verse 9 again. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. The Samaritans, the Samaritans are offering unto Simon a title that he is not deserving of. We are told clearly by Luke as he writes this for us that this man was a magician. He did magic. Magic, of course, is a sleight of hand. It is, it is causing you to see something that is not real. And this sleight of hand, or this seeing something that is not real, the Samaritans had said that this magic was God. Listen to what they said. This man is the power of God. This man is the power of God that is called great. You see, the Samaritans had given credit to Simon the magician for something that he was not due. They were giving him credit to be a man of God, to be working on behalf of God, when in fact he was not of God. I don't think that we can offer a whole lot of criticism here to the Samaritans. After all, they had not yet experienced the the power of salvation through Jesus Christ. They had not yet experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit that brings about the ability to have discernment in our own lives. But I do think that there there is an observation here For us, as followers of Jesus Christ, as as ones who have the Holy Spirit to offer discernment in our lives, and it is simply that we need to recognize that there are some things that appear to be of God that are in fact not of God. There are things in this world, there are things that happen in some churches that appear and maybe even are testified to be of God that are in fact not of God at all. Instead, they're magic. They're not the hand of God. I would remind you of something that we read just in the last couple of weeks in our daily Bible reading. As Moses went before Pharaoh, you remember the story, as Moses goes before Pharaoh, God equips Moses with the ability to do some great powers of God. 
He gives him some equipment so that he can do some pretty tremendous things. And as we follow that account of Moses before Pharaoh, we learn and we see that the magicians of Pharaoh are able to do some of the same things that Moses is able to do in the power of God. But don't forget, as Moses throws his staff on the ground and it turns it into a snake, so the magician throws a staff on the ground and it, it also turns into a snake. But do you remember what happens next? The snake of God overcomes the snake of the magicians. And this is the way our life is. The things of this world... The things that are not of God, they will quickly fade away. They will not last. God will overtake them with his truth. It's why Gamaliel, as he stood before Peter and John, as they were in the Sanhedrin for preaching the message of Jesus Christ, you remember what Gamaliel said. We covered it just a few weeks ago. He said, leave these boys alone. If what they are preaching is of God, it will last forever and ever, but if it is of man, don't worry. They will be like just every other prophet passing through. It will fade away. You see, some things, they appear to be of God, but they are not. And so as a people of God, as ones who possess the Holy Spirit, we need to be reminded of this great discernment that we must have concerning God and His work around us. All things that seem or appear to be of God from this lost world are not in fact of God. We have to seek discernment to determine whether it is or it is not in fact God doing something in our lives. You see, this leads me to my second point. That Maybe this will continue to explain my first point. Secondly, I want you to recognize that some people appear to be followers that are in fact not followers. Look at verse 12 and 13. When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Verse 19. Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon, we are told, believed in verse 12 and 13. And yet we understand from the remainder of this passage of Scripture that there was in fact no conversion experience of Simon. There are those around us, and here it is in the picture of Simon, who seem to have least believed. They have given a mental assent to the recognition of Jesus Christ. Or we might say they at least have a surface level belief. But that is not a saving faith. Look, I understand there's great fear that comes, that comes over us when we hear statements like, I just made. But I want you to recognize that there may be a mental assent to some of the truths of the gospel, 
but where there is not a repentance, a forgiveness of sins, and a surrendered life to Christ or a conversion, there in fact is no follower of Jesus. And it seems that Simon's experience are much like that rich young ruler that we read about in the Gospels. You, you know the story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, what will it take for me to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks to him and he, he questions him on the law. And the rich young ruler knows all of the law. But Jesus says, you must also sell all that you have and come and follow me. And in one of the saddest passages of Scripture in all of the word, the word, we are told this. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There was a rich young ruler who knew the law. There was Simon who at least had a mental assent of belief of Jesus Christ. Simon and the rich young ruler, while they heard the same gospel, neither one of them were able to completely submit their life to it. Where the rich young ruler only wanted salvation without surrender. Simon only wanted salvation for the gifts. He wanted to be able to lay his hands on people and see what he had just experienced. He wanted to be able to walk by people and his shadow offer healing just as it did for Peter. You see, Simon apparently just wanted the good stuff of Jesus and he did not want Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. He only wanted this salvation, it seems, for a greater magic that it had to offer and not for the forgiveness of the sins offered by Jesus. You see, this seems to be, for me, as I prepared for us this week, this seems to be a good place for us to ask and for us to evaluate our own salvation. Are we, in fact, converted? Have we given just a mental assent to the historical figure of Jesus Christ? Or do we know and understand His work on the cross and the life that He offers us inside of the resurrection on that third day? A conversion experience, it is more than just a mental belief that Jesus was some historical figure, a good man, a great prophet. A conversion experience is a surrender of our lives to Him, a determination to follow Him as a disciple. It is sad, yet, yet true, that there are those around us that appear to be followers that are in fact not followers of Jesus. From Simon's experience, all things that appear to be God are not God. All those who appear to have saving faith may not have as they seem. But I want you to see also that there is some evidence of this authentic faith. The third point this morning is that some confirmation of authentic salvation will always be seen. Some confirmation of authentic salvation will always be seen. Verses 14 through 19, admittedly, these are some of the most controversial and, and I believe they're some of the most misunderstood verses of Scripture in all of Acts, maybe. As we have here a picture of, of, of the apostles coming from Jerusalem, and we are told that the Holy Spirit had not yet come on those that had believed, 
But yet the apostles come and, and they lay their hands on those who have been baptized in the Lord Jesus. And, and we are told that as a result of, of the laying on of the hands that the Holy Spirit came upon these now into in Samaria. And while we could spend, trust me, a lot of time talking about the, the different theological ideas that this presents, but also the various opinions on what these verses mean, these five verses, 14 through 19, I want to give you what I believe is a basic understanding of what's happening here with the apostles. This laying on of the hands and the appearance of the Spirit. I will remind you, as I've said, as we've walked through the book of Acts, that as the gospel is beginning to move forward, we are seeing instances that we do not see in modern day because there was a special movement of the Holy Spirit happening to assure the spread of the New Testament church. So yes, there were things happening in the book of Acts that were exceptions. We call it the apostolic exception. There were things that were happening that do not happen now because the church was being, they were being propelled forward. They were being able to share the gospel more rapidly maybe than we even do today. It's why we see, back to Peter's shadow example, his shadow offering healing. We don't see the shadows of the apostles of Jesus today offering healing as we did then. This is what is happening in the laying on of the hands and the Spirit coming to the Samaritans at the apostles' presence. It is a unique confirmation of the gospel that was preached and the evidence that the gospel had been experienced. The apostles are coming to confirm or affirm that the gospel that they had trusted was in fact the gospel of Jesus Christ. It could be said that it was a confirmation by the apostles of the authentic salvation for those in Samaria. A confirmation and while a confirmation does not come to us by the laying on of hands by others, there is still an absolutely necessary confirmation in the life of those who have been converted. I would take you, we won't read it all this morning, but I would take you to John chapter 15. One of my favorite passages of Scripture there. It's about the vine and the branches. And as Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, he tells us that those who are connected to him, those of us that are branches connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, he says we should be producing fruit. That there should be some confirmation of authentic salvation seen in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling us that we should be producing fruit in our lives so as to prove our conversion experience. And as the apostles come to these Samaritans on this day, they're laying on of hands of the Samaritans. The coming then in that moment of the Holy Spirit, it is a confirmation to all of those visible. It is a confirmation to all of the Jews in Jerusalem that these men and women have in fact experienced conversion. You see, this is important for us to recognize that our lives demand confirmation of authentic salvation because we need to be reminded that we are to be fruit producers if we are converted. 
that we are to be fruit producers if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. That our lives are to be indicated as such by the good works that we do for Jesus Christ. Some confirmation of authentic salvation will always be seen. The last thing I want you to see, a final observation that I think, I hope would serve as an encouragement for some of us today is that some people are in need of hearing the gospel again. Some people are in need of hearing the gospel again. There's nothing wrong with Philip's gospel. Philip gave the gospel to Simon, the magician. Philip gave, we understood, the correct gospel. Philip wasn't confused in his giving of the gospel. Philip gave a good He gave a true, he gave an authentic testimony of the work of Jesus Christ. And yet, Simon the magician was not quite ready to surrender his life for the gospel. Peter now shares in verses 20 through 25. Peter shares with Simon his need for repentance. Peter shares with Simon his need for forgiveness. Peter is again sharing the gospel with Simon. And I want you to know, and we know this to be true, but maybe just to be reminded of it this morning, there are those among us who have heard the gospel, yet they have not been converted. You see, hearing the gospel is a necessary part of being converted, but hearing the gospel is not the whole of our conversion experience. We must surrender our lives to Christ in full knowledge of what He has done for us, like these disciples of Jesus, to those who have heard it, we tell it again. To those who have not heard it, we are commanded by Jesus to be His witnesses. You see, we are to be the witnesses in every place that we go to those who have heard it and to those who have not heard it. They need to hear the gospel again. We see evidence here by the testimony of Peter. How many times should we share the gospel before someone receives it? Many of us have had people in our lives that we say they've heard it. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel. They know what Jesus has done. They've been told about the righteousness that can be found in him. How many times must I share the gospel with these people? How many times must I continue to repeat myself? And I would say that we must do that as many times as it takes. It's like that parable that Jesus told of the soils and how the seed was being scattered among various soils. And we are told that it is not the responsibility of the one that is sowing the seed to make the seed sprout from the soil. It is simply the obligation of the one that is spreading the seed to continue to spread the seed. Some people need to be told the gospel again. We share the gospel and we watch the Spirit work in the souls or in the hearts of those that He would will and it produces a harvest every time. The account of Simon the magician to me is a very sad story. 
It's a story of a man who had heard the gospel but would not surrender to the demands that the salvation required. As we explore this with Simon the Magician, I hope that all of us have asked ourselves about our own conversion experience. But maybe someone has come to our mind that we need to share the gospel with again. Someone that we need to share the love of Christ with again. Peter, continue to share the gospel. From the very beginning in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it was the mission of the church to be witnesses concerning the work of Jesus Christ. And so far, we have seen the New Testament church through every chapter that we have examined. They have never failed to be the witnesses of the work of Jesus Christ. And for us, church, we must continue to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ, recognizing that we must depend deeply on spiritual discernment, that we must recognize that everyone who appears to be a follower is not, but yet their life will be indicated as such by their production of fruit. And for those that are not, we must be faithful to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We must be faithful to share the gospel again. God, we ask that as we have an opportunity now to worship you again, Lord, during the singing of this song, God, that we would experience, Lord, an opportunity to evaluate our own conversion experience. Have we truly been saved? Have we truly sought forgiveness from the Lord? Are our hearts truly regenerate, Lord? Are we fully surrendered and committed, God, to the gospel of Jesus? Are we just surface level, just mentally assented to this historical figure of Jesus? God, the measure of our life will be the fruit. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. May we evaluate our conversion, God. And God, also as we think about this topic today, may you bring to our hearts and to our souls and in our spirits those who are like Simon, who need to hear the gospel again. Those who need to be the told, the, told the truth, Lord, of the, the sacrifice of Jesus again. Those who need to be reminded of a resurrected Jesus again. Lord, bring to our hearts an evaluation of our own conversion and bring to our hearts those who need to hear the gospel again. We pray and ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.